Here's today's reminder. If your church is going to grow, you have to equip your leaders. But how do you do this? How do you empower the leaders at your church to lead well? Join us at equiplab.com backslash church leaders. We're here to equip your ministry team to thrive. Just go to equiplab.com backslash church leaders and join us today. Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. Conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to a new episode of the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name is Daniel Yang, the director of the Senate Institute, and we're excited to have with us today Dr. Derwin Gray. Mm-hmm. Derwin's the lead pastor of Transformation Church, co-founded with his wife, Vicki. Transformation Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, mission-shaped community located in Indian Land, South Carolina. He's authored several books, including The High Definition Leader, The Good Life, What Jesus Teaches About Finding True Happiness, Building a Multi-Ethnic Church, A Gospel Vision of Love, Grace, and Reconciliation in a Divided World. But his upcoming book is entitled, God, Do You Hear Me? Discovering a Prayer That God Always Answers. He and his wife, Vicki, have been married since 1992. They have two children, Presley and Jeremiah. Duran's also one of the featured speakers at Amplify Outreach Conference coming October 19th and 20th. Amplify Outreach is designed to help pastors and Christians enter the real issues of our day in order to help people discover authentic faith in Christ. So be sure to learn more about the conference at AmplifyOutreach.com. Now, before we hear from Derwin, let's go to our host, our host editor-in-chief of Outreach Magazine and the executive director of Wheaton College Billy Graham Center at Stetzer. Well, it is good to see you and to be with you and have this conversation. Um, ultimately, we're learning and listening to church leaders about some of the journey we're on. We're actually all together in one room, which we don't get to often do, but it's privileged for us to be able to do so this day. We're all together in one room. And so, because Derwin's actually here, we, we've had you speak at our church planning leadership fellowship. We've Your wife is actually a graduate student here at the Wheaton College Graduate School, and we've been friends for a very long time. Uh, I've known you for longer than I'd like to admit. Matter of fact, I, one of the fun things is you can actually see the, if you just Google evangelism linebacker, that's Durbin Gray. <laughs> How old were you in that? That was like one of the early viral oh Christian my videos. Gosh. How old were we you? did that in 2004. So what is that, 17 years ago? Wow. I was 33. Wow. Okay. I mean, well, at you... 33, I could still like run with the kids. I could still dunk a basketball. Yeah. None no more. You'd like break break a hip if you did that today. So well, I wouldn't even definitely... attempt it. <laughs> nice. Thinking right. about it, my brick. Yeah, I understand. Okay, so let's so let's talk some in our conversation with Derwin about um, you know kind of we you know, we already mentioned you're coming to Amplify Outreach, which is going to be kind of a significant gathering of people who care about evangelism, um, outreach, the good news of the gospel. Um, one of the things we talk about, I want to talk more than just about a uh, multi ethnic church, but mm-hmm. we are going to start there because that's part of your journey is pastoring this multi ethnic church and caring about a multi-ethnic church, mm-hmm. writing about a multi-ethnic church. So tell us a little bit about your background. How'd you ultimately come to pastor a multi-ethnic congregation? Yeah, so uh, I grew up in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, my mom was 17. My dad was 19 when I was born. Uh, my grandparents primarily raised me because both of my parents had substance abuse issues. And uh, we were not church growing. And in Texas, uh, football is king. So that was my God. But also to about age 13, I recognized that football was my way out of where I was. And so I got really good, got a football scholarship to, of all places, Brigham Young University. So black kid from the hood ends up in the very diverse BYU. It's diverse in its shadeness of whiteness. (laughs) And so I went to BYU, 
met my wife as an 18 year old second semester freshman year we ended up getting engaged get married i had a um incredible career there got drafted to the nfl and for me that was my nirvana that that, that was it and that first year was miserable um i was a, a little fish in a big pond but by my third year i found my groove i was a team captain i played great i was able to send money home to my family because i thought that would fix the problems and at the end of that year at 25 i had an existential crisis i said if this is as good as it gets then this is not good um, I, I wouldn't have used words like I needed forgiveness, but I knew something was wrong with me. And then ultimately, uh, a teammate of mine called the Naked Preacher, he would take a shower, dry off after practice and share Christ. And over five years, uh, um, he helped me discover who Christ was. My wife came to faith about six months before I did. We moved to Charlotte so I could play for the Panthers. I ended up hurting my knee against the uh, Dallas Cowboys. And I distinctly being so mad at God, like, God, why did you do this? And so I couldn't, of course, he didn't do it, but I couldn't play the rest of the year. So all I did was rehab my knee and read the Bible. And as the more I read the Bible, the more I fell in love with Jesus. And the more I fell in love with Jesus, the more I wanted people to fall in love with him, too. Because if he could change me, he could change anyone. And so my wife and I decided NFL's done. What are we going to do? We weren't sure, and I got invited to share my testimony in Columbia, South Carolina, and I argued and pleaded with God, don't send me, I'm a compulsive stutterer, I'll pray for pe people, I'll finance it, but don't send me. And I sense God saying, if I can raise my son from the dead, I can raise your tongue to talk, but you have to go to see this happen. We went down there, and a bunch of kids got saved, phones started ringing off the hook. Before you knew it, we started a nonprofit ministry where I travel. My wife organized everything. And then about 2005, I couldn't understand why the nightclub where we would drink and party looked more like Revelation 7-9 ethnically than Jesus's club. And as I was reading the Bible, I didn't have any denominational filters or experiences. I just read this incredible story about Jews and Gentiles not only being forgiven of sins, but becoming brothers and sisters with different colored skins. And this family was actually promised to Abraham that God made a promise. And God is a covenant keeper who fulfills his promise through Jesus. And it overflows into a multi-ethnic church that's centered around the gospel. And so that's how we ended up planting um, Transformation Church. And, and, and so I'm about Jesus and the good news. And the good news is that there's a good God who is getting his family back. Mm. And he not only forgives us, he not only declares us righteous, but he reconciles us to himself that we are forever friends of God. Thus, we can be friends to one another. And so I believe that the church is to be a signpost of eternity, that when Jesus raised from the dead, he launched new creation. Romans 8, 29, he is the elder brother of this new species of the resurrection made up of all people. And so I believe the church uh, um, images forth God's goodness in the middle of chaos. And so I'm about Jesus. I'm about his gospel. I love his bride. And I believe that the bride uh, is beautiful. Durin, uh, I know that uh, your latest book, Building uh, Multi-Ethnic Churches, I mean, it's not just a theology of multi-ethnic church, but you're really talking about the church. It's an ecclesiological yeah. book. I mean, can you talk a little bit about that, how 
we shouldn't just segment multi-ethnic as like a particular segment of the church. Yeah. So I don't particularly like using the term multi-ethnic because for Paul, ecclesia, the called out ones would have been Jews and Gentiles who've been called out of darkness into the marvelous light in response to the majestic work of Jesus. But here's one of here's one of my uh, 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 deep-rooted anchors that I want us as God's people to understand. Jesus is a part of a narrative and a framework. He's the seed of Abraham. Um, God made a promise. And so when we strip Jesus out of this beautiful narrative of God's story, we begin to live by our own story, and that never goes well. God has a redemptive story, and we have a part in that story. And so all of our discipleship, all of our aspects of justice is, is so that we can be good brothers and sisters to one another across the barriers of sin, which has been ethnocentrism, classism, and sexism. Um, the cross blows those barriers up with grace. And so, yeah, like I want us to get a, a hold of this majestic narrative of God's story, because if we don't live in his story, we're going to ask him to live in ours. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about how that plays out, yeah. um, because you are not in Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was the interim teaching pastor at Moody Church, seventy-two nations, but it's Chicago, um, and there's almost a sense that we all you know live there on top of one another. I'm interim now in New York City, lots of nations, but it's New York City. Your area, I know your area. My brother is the acting U.S. attorney for that area, so I, I know that area. Um, it's not a place where there's a natural pattern of diversity. It's kind of, um, there are African-Americans there, uh -huh. and there are white people there, and there's others mixed in as well. You have a diverse church, but they're not mixing in a whole lot. You mentioned the, the nightclub, but that's among the young adults. Uh -huh. That's not who just you're reaching. I've preached at your church. Mm -hmm. So how do you, and I'm trying not to use you know bad terms to describe yeah different people, but you know, I mean, there's some country folk that are there's kind of walking. There's some NASCAR around. loving people at okay, our church. Okay, okay, fair. It's it, right down there. Isn't that like yeah. the big NASCAR track over there? So yeah. I know those, that's not a bad thing to say NASCAR, but you know, uh -huh. but you got country folk, you got yes, some do. urban folk, but you're not in the city no. uh, in that sense. And so people have already self-segregated, if you will. So what does that look like in your context? Okay, so 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 where we are physically is Indian land, South Carolina. Um, 10, 10 years, 11 years ago, when we went there, um, there was really nothing there. And we found out that the elementary school served kids from 32 different nations. And, and so New York City and Chicago has come to the South. And all people, all people were looking for is a vision to walk into it. And so I would have never thought that I would lead a church that is probably 58% white, but of that 58% white, there's some country South Carolina white folks that I need an interpreter to understand what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And they love their pastor and their pastor loves them. There is a majestic, beautiful power when one unlikely difference become community. And so one church service we had an older white guy with a MAGA hat and MAGA shirt, literally right next to a black girl with a Black Lives Matter shirt on with an Afro, both hands raised, worshiping the Lord, mm -hmm. right? And of course, uh, um, 
when there's differences, you have to nuance it and work through it. But oh, yeah. grace so allows you to do to it. Sure, sure. Grace yeah. allows you to do it. So one of the reasons why I think God has blessed this is because we've been crazy enough to trust him to do what people said was not possible. Okay. And so, yes, there's systems, there's processes, there's leadership, there's things that are intentional. But the greatest thing that we've done is prayed and fasted and said, Lord, what you did in the first century, do in our century because we believe Jesus can. Okay, but there's there's some, right, you mentioned the MAGA shirt next yep. to the Black Lives Matter shirt. Yep. Those aren't just articles of clothing. Those are worldviews. Those yes, are, they are. Those are opinions that get reflected in things you might say or they yeah. might say and all of those different things. So how do you navigate some of the really politicized times that we're living in? Uh, lovingly and carefully, but also one of the things, uh, Ed, that our church has experienced is through COVID and through the election, we have grown immensely. Mm -hmm. So for our church, and specifically for our white brothers and sisters, it wasn't rare when I would talk about um, systemic injustice. It wasn't rare when I talk about George Floyd. Way back in 2014, our church was building relationships with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department. Like the chief of police had spoken at our church multiple times before all this stuff jumped off. And so it wasn't like, oh, this is a bait and switch. Oh, this is like you being woke, no? Like, no, this has been us from day one. And of course, there are people who leave and we graciously wanna have a conversation and allow them to leave. Um, but for everyone that's left, Young millennials and Gen Z have just replaced them, and it's been awesome. I, I'm hopeful about this time because there is a group of people who long for a Jesus who not only cares for your soul, but the whole of humanity. They long to be with a Jesus um, that is raising his hands or, or that, that's rolling up his, his, his sleeves. Last Christmas or two Christmases ago, we paid... Um, $4 million of medical debt for people in our community. And um, unbelievers like, well, why did you do that? Well, because Jesus paid our debt. And we know that medical debt was, was crippling. Um, we have a great reputation in our community because we've adopted 10 schools. We've made over 300,000 backpack meals for kids. And we don't slap Transformation Church stickers on them as a marketing thing. No, we really love our community. And so for leaders, you have to love people more than you love to lead. You have to love people more than you love to preach. It's about loving people because God loved us. I want to ask you a two-part question that's related to that. Uh, one is your personal leadership. I mean, leadership flows out of who you are. And you're an African-American man leading a multi-ethnic church which is going to be probably different from a, a white person leading a multi-ethnic church. So speak a little bit about that. And then also go into the cultural leadership that you're developing at yeah. Transformation Church and how that, that might be different. Yeah, you know, um, you raise a great point because people will often ask us, well, how did you guys become a multi-ethnic church? How do you? And I'm like, you're asking, don't ask the pragmatic qu qu question. Ask more of an ontological qu question of, who are you and why are you that way, right? So first and foremost, I love Jesus. And I don't love him because I worked it up. I love him because he met me at my darkest and he continues to 
overwhelm me and wow me and mesmerize me. I love Jesus, right? And that's that's the first thing is I, I, I want to spend time with him. So so leadership for me, what I learned from my NFL background is leadership is not telling people what to do. Leadership is embodying what you want others to become. Mm. And I think growing up poor, growing up marginalized, uh, even in my own home, I felt ignored, right? Um, I love my granddad to death. He he showed me what hard work work, work is. The man never missed a day of, of work. But it wasn't until I was like about senior year in high school, I was the San Antonio Player of the Week, and I was on a Sunday morning Sunday morning sports show called uh, Football Highlights, whatever. And Dan Cook, someone that he respected, sports announcer, was interviewing me, and he walked by to go to work, and he heard Dan Cook's voice, and then he seen me being interviewed, and it was like. Literally, it was like scales fell from his eyes, and all of a sudden, I became like, oh, Dewey. Yeah, it's my grandson. And it was kind of like, yeah, but I've been here the whole time, hmm. right? And so that shapes how I lead. I always have a soft spot for the marginalized, the pushed aside. the the the. Even though I'm a professional athlete, I wasn't that guy in middle school that you'd go, now he's going to go to the NFL. I was like a second string offensive lineman. Ed, in your world, what that would mean is yeah, like, I need, I need this. like <laughs> someone who couldn't <laughs> preach their way out of a paper bag. Okay, fair. fair. Yeah. I mean, it was it was rough. And it wasn't until my senior year in high school that I actually developed. And and so leadership is about embodying what you want others to become and the spiritual practices of that, right? So Sabbathing, making sure you're not studying the word. Um, just to get a message, making sure that you don't have, I want people around me who are smarter than me, who are going to challenge me, who are going to bring the best out of me. Now, one of the things though, that I had to learn, particularly with white staff, is if I got passionate as a black man, they would think I was mad. And so what I start doing is I'll say, look, hey, listen. I, I've actually thought that for the record, but this, I just think that's because you're a big, scary man. Well, no, I'm a my wife now, that's what you need to worry about. Okay. <laughs> I'm the teddy bear. But what I explained to him, I said, listen, if you ever go to the hood and you see black men, they're going to play dominoes and it's going to be loud. They're going to be slamming dominoes and it's going to look like they're going to fight. No, we're passionate, right? And so I've learned how to invite people in Interesting. to conversation. But leadership is about embodying. And so what I want to do is I want to serve Transformation Church, number one, by delighting in Christ, and number two, by having a beautiful marriage, and number three, is walking and parenting, not in the illusion that somehow my kids float around and, Father, will you read the Septuagint to us today? In the group? <laughs> I mean, you know, like, no, man, we need prayers too. Um, so we're building a culture where we want to celebrate one another. We're building a culture of collaboration. We're building a culture of authentic community. And those are things that we have to perpetually guard. Hmm. Well, and I just would tell you that my kids actually do float in asking me to read the Septuagint. So I just wanted to point that <laughs> out to you. Okay, but, but I think one of the questions that we have too is, you know, we're the church leaders podcast. So we're trying to minister to church leaders yeah. and, you know, people are like, okay, how do I become a more effective leader? What are some of the rhythms that personally yeah. you do for yeah. effective leadership to keep yourself sharp, to keep yourself focused? And 
Well, just answer that one, then I'll have yeah. a follow-up. What are the things you personally do? Number one, never forget the pit that he drug you out of. Okay. That's number one. So a perpetual posture of dependency. Number two, every Friday, don't call me. It is my Sabbath. I'm mm -hmm. somewhere on the lake. Okay. I'm fishing. I'm holding up fish. Sabbath is a time of delight. Yeah, and you you post like your fish. I think sometimes I you hold them closer to I the do. camera for yes. the lens value. That makes it look bigger. It does. It does. So yeah. um, so my question is, is are you is that a type of mentoring? Are you trying to teach us about? Absolutely. Okay. So talk, keep, keep going through your, your Sabbath yes. thing. And you're tweeting about it so people yeah, see your Sabbath. Yeah, so one, when I tweet the fish, I want to show the world I, I can fish. Yes. That's, that's a little fleshly. It's fair. But, but secondly, though, I want pastors to understand, man, before you are called a pastor, you're called a son. Mm -hmm. And when I use the term son, I mean it in the sense that Israel was called God's son. Mm -hmm. Jesus is God's son. Now we are sons, male and female. It's a term of endearment, right? It's not about your performance. It's about you're the object of his affection because you're in his son. And there's so many of us that are striving, right? And then secondly, or, or, or thir thirdly, who are the people around you that fill your tank? Who are the people around you who encourage you? Um, and even, you know, as I get older, so I'm 50 now, and I have to watch what I eat. I have to sleep. Like if I don't get good rest for three days in a row, um, I start getting depression. And so I have to really monitor those things. And so a healthy rhythm. And another thing too, is for 11 years in a row, we will always do, 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 do this every Tuesday at transformation time at transformation church is transformation time where we disciple our staff. So for the first seven years, I pretty much taught it, but we've raised up leaders now who can teach. And it's things from, you know, a Pete Scazzaro book or a book of the Bible or leadership principles. But we always want our staff, elder pastors to understand that we're not professionals. We're sons who live from the affirmation of our father, not for the affirmation. Okay. I think you were, because you were anticipating some of my question. So part of it, your own rhythm. So that mm -hmm. Sabbath thing. Um, I want to know a little more about that, though. I yeah. mean, so I know you're reading and writing books. Uh -huh. But before you're writing books, what was your pattern of reading? Um, how are you continuing to sharpen your leadership skills? Yeah. I know you, you did a MDiv at Southern Evangelical Seminary. You did a DMIN at Northern. But talk to me a little bit about your personal pattern. Then I want to get to yeah. how you're working with others as well. Yeah. So one of the things that I learned from my football experience, by the way, football taught me so much about leadership is is um if you want to be successful in the game you have to know your playbook if you really want to be successful you have to know your opponent's playbook so i am perpetually learning i'm always reading people go how many books do you read a year i go i'm not wired to keep counts i really don't know but i love reading and after i finished uh my d men I knew I needed a new challenge to continue to grow, right? But it's not just cognitive growing, like to say I've learned so much. It's low. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind because I want to be a living sacrifice in view of God's mercy. So I'm always reading. And what I want to encourage pastors with is um, like I get business books and those leadership principles. I, I think that's cool, right? But Man, if you're reading more of that than you are 
about Jesus, about the kingdom of God, um, please be careful. You know, so yeah, lots of re reading. Uh, my wife and I banter back and forth, talking about ideas. It's a blessing to uh, serve with your wife that is a high capacity leader as well. Um, and also having other believers in my life who can encourage me. Um, Dr. Daniel Amen is my personal um, psychiatrist. Not that I have brain health issues, but as a former NFL player, uh, man, I ran into people like one of them, one of them Rams, you know, in the Rams you be seeing in the commercials. Yep. Bam, they, oh, yeah. I mean, I did that for a long time and uh, I want to be on top of that. So I want to be healthy physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And also, as you guys know, there are things in our lives, sanctification wise, that God doesn't even reveal to us because we couldn't handle it yeah. until we're mature enough. I love that. And I'm looking back going, oh my gosh, yeah, I can't believe I was raised this way. No, so true, so true. Yeah. Okay, so you talk some about your personal rhythms, which I really liked. Now, what, you know, because people are asking, what does it look like then in your church? Yeah. You know, because people might say, well, I'm the lead pastor. How might I encourage my staff? So yeah. do you, I'm assuming, you know, we, we know Vicky's in our master's program. So, you know, that's something obviously you mm -hmm. guys have valued. You're in the journey. You're going to be doing some stuff with us, too, here at the Wheaton College Graduate School. We're excited about that. But for your staff, what yeah. do you expect for them for ongoing personal development? Yeah, so the first thing is modeling, right? Okay. The second thing is at our transformation time that we've done for 11 years, we're we're reading resources, right? Um, but what we also do is we have a time where we teach and then we break up into small groups and we lay hands on each other and pray. Um, one of the things that I've modeled for years and as our staff has grown, I'm hoping that it continues is that it's never really about the meeting. There's always undercurrents. And so I've modeled if there's friction, tension, a lack of clarity, hey, let's stop here and let's talk about, about that. Um, my wife and I are really big on, if you're married, you lead out of your marriage. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't care if you have the voice of angels, if your marriage is struggling, you're not gonna be singing. We're gonna, we're gonna get you some help. Um, we, um, we have a, a a brain health ministry, and so we're very brain health friendly, and so we encourage our staff to get therapy. Um, if we're not discipling our staff, we're prostituting our staff. And so we've developed a culture where our meetings are not just about the business. The business is spiritual formation, and we want to get things done through that. And, and I have an incredible staff, and it's been 11 years of sowing seeds and people are are growing and maturing. And so, yeah, so we wanna create a gospel culture of spiritual formation. Yeah, you know, a lot of what you're talking about comes out of your own leadership. And you talked about how that comes from reading, uh, but a lot of pastors feel similar to you where God's calling them to do writing. And yeah. I'd like to ask you about that because you, you're a prolific writer, and when I read yeah. your books, uh, High Definition, uh, Definition Leader, and your latest uh, Building Multi-Ethnic Churches, and you got an upcoming book, I don't feel like you're writing to be famous, although your books are probably doing pretty well. It feels like you're writing to be helpful. Can you talk about the process? How do you oh, do that gosh. as a pastor? I mean, do you have to be a pastor of a large church to write or no. help us to think through that? Yeah, I, I am a, um, man, yeah, that's that's a spot of vulnerability because I don't write because I like writing. 
God put something in me and I can't really explain. And it's like, this has to give birth. And so since COVID, um, God has opened up so many doors and I wasn't going to write the good life. And I wasn't going to write um, the book that'll be out in October called God, Do You Hear Me? I, I wasn't going to do it because I felt like it was all about your platform and where you're speaking. And I'm like, I don't want to be interested in that. Like ask my elders if I qualify to be a pastor. Make that the qualification for writing a book, right? And so I wasn't going to, but my daughter on a vacation to Norway in downtown Oslo, I was explaining to her why I wasn't going to write a book. And my daughter just looked at me and said, Dad, if God is calling you to write a book, you write it for him. You don't worry about platform and all this stuff. Come on. And first thing I went, oh my gosh, she's right. Second thing I went, she's been listening. So I actually dedicated it to her. And The Good Life became a national bestseller for a few months. And so, no, I don't, I write because God gives me a burden and I want to be helpful. Um, some of the things that I said in 2015 about multi-ethnic church was pretty much ignored, right? In 2020, people are are listening. And so that's why I write. Like God uses it and I've learned how to write, but it's not like, oh man, I'm so excited to write. It's more of like, oh gosh, I'm pregnant. Mm. Oh, I can feel it, I can feel it moving in me. And I tell my wife, I'm like, oh, honey, I think it's time. And then the doors begin to open up. And so I got a 16 on my ACT to get into college. Wow. Uh, I promise you, if my teachers from high school found out that I have a doctorate, I write books, they would go, wait, are you talking about that Derwin Gray? You cannot be talking about that kid. And so when I want to say 16, like on half of it, right? No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just Brother, kidding. I got a 16 and I had to take it three times. That's fascinating. Um, God, you when turned he, out all right. when God saved me, he saved parts of me and redeemed parts of me that I didn't even know was even there. And so what I would encourage pastors with is the way the world is now, you don't need a big publisher to write. Yeah. Like write because it's in your heart and you believe it's beneficial to the church and God's calling you to do it. Yeah. Let's, so let's talk some about the good life. Yeah. And which is, uh, like you mentioned, was on CBA, CBA bestseller list. Um, it's, it's, um, you're, you're pastor in this church. It's from the Beatitudes, yep. um, full confession. I literally just finished preaching the Beatitudes at the time of this. So yeah. I love the Beatitudes. What's the theme okay. and why does it matter? Okay. So here's the thing. Way back in 2014, I was meeting all kinds of folks in our church, outside of our church, believers, male, female, regardless of ethnicity. This is before COVID. Right. And people were not happy. And so I said, okay, what does Jesus say about happiness? And lo and behold, hiding in plain sight in the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher ever preached, Jesus opens up the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes and he starts with this word blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit for there's a kingdom of heaven. And he goes down eight characteristics of a blessed life. Well, what is the word blessed? It's the Greek word makros. It's, it's like a state of happiness. It's a state of joy. And so the theme is this. Happiness is not about what happens to you. Happiness is not perpetually good things occurring in your life. Happiness is about God making you good for the world. So happiness and holiness 
are two sides of the same coin. If you want to know what Jesus looked like, he looked like the Beatitudes. If you want to know what God wants to form us into, it looks like the Beatitudes. That's why when we quote Matthew uh, 5:13 and 14, we're salt and light. And in Matthew 5:16, let your light so shine that your good works may glorify your Father in heaven. It flows out of the Beatitudes. God is inviting us into a happiness that transcends pandemics, that transcends political division. He's inviting us into a happiness that is reserved for those in his kingdom. We're splashing around in mud puddles, and God is inviting us to a banquet. I mean, you know, right now, so many people need hope, and uh, church leaders need hope, because they've been ministering on reserves, really. And uh, you talked about the gestation process, that there was something that was leading up to writing a book, and your newest Mm -hmm. book is God, Do You Hear Me? Talk about, um, you know, what was it that led you to write it? What's the book about? And yeah. are you trying to give people hope or what are, what are you talking about? Yeah. So I believe hope has a name and his name is Jesus. And Jesus, 2000 years ago, when his Jewish disciples, they asked him a question like, yo, uh, that's what they said in the Hebrew, by the way. Yo, uh, they were like, yo, um, John's disciples know how to pray. Will you teach us to pray? And Jesus literally says, when you pray, pray like this. And here's the genius of Jesus. The Lord's prayer is actually a mini catechism of the life of Christ. Who loved the father the most and who did the father love the most? The son. Who, who, Who had his name as holy, separate from everything else? The son. Who embodied the kingdom? The son. Who is the bread of life? The son. Who is the forgiveness? Jesus. Who defeated Sin, death, and evil, dark powers, Jesus. And so the Lord's prayer is a formational gift that invites us into the kingdom, invites us into God's life. Because Matthew 6, 8, Jesus says, uh, God already knows what you need. And then he does it again in Matthew 6, 32. God already knows what what you need. So prayer is not a um, a mantra to get what what we want God to give us. Prayer is an invitation into becoming who God has created us to be. And that's the prayer that God always answers. He always answers a prayer when we desire to know our Father, to have allegiance to his name only, to embody his kingdom, to feed from the bread of life, to live in the forgiveness, to be forgiven, or or to live in forgiveness to forgive, and then to walk in the power of defeating sin, death, and evil, that when Jesus came out of the tomb, he launched new creation. We are a people of the future in the present with eternal power now. And so prayer so often is a wish list of stuff. And God is going, hey, I'm here. Let let, let me say one more thing. The way I see us pray, and this is a big generalization, it's like Thanksgiving. You go to your mom or your dad's house and the food is laid out and we're stuffing our faces and we're saying, pass the gravy and cranberry sauce and we eat the apple cobbler, apple pie, and then we get up and leave and we go, hey, Jesus, I'll see you uh, at Christmas time and we're out. And Jesus is going, the food is not the main attraction. I am. I'm the main attraction. And so we go to prayer to use God, not to worship and be with God. And so I want to help people re-embrace this idea of, wait, God wants to commune with me. Mm. God wants to shape me. And I want to let him do it. Mm. 
Good. That's, and that's coming out uh, this uh, October, October 2021. It's called God Do You Hear Me with our friends at BNH. All right. So one of the things that, you know, as we're looking, church leaders are, um, it's a hard time, man. It's a hard time. And, you know, you and I have walked through some conversations together through hard mm -hmm. things. You came and spoke at our summit on, uh, you know, mental health and pastors and leaders. And who would have guessed? We did that before COVID. We did that yeah. in December before COVID yeah. and became such a driving and defining issue. So kind of our last question, when you look at kind of where we are right yeah. now, what encouragement would you give to church? Our, our audience is church leaders, right? Yeah. Uh, what encouragement, exhortation, cautions would you give to church leaders today? Yeah. Um, the first thing that I would do is I would be like, brother, sister, man, let me give you a hug. Uh, let me let me tell you that you're loved. Let me tell you that you're valued. Um, let me tell you that you're treasured in Christ. Um, and let me tell you that what was sent to break you, the Holy Spirit will use to remake you, to refine you. Um, also, I do believe, uh, Ed, and you and I have talked about this before, is I do believe that COVID has exposed the idols that we've been worshiping, and they can't withstand what we're going through. And, and, and I hope we didn't miss the COVID moment and that God was calling us to repentance and restoration and dependence because we were pretty much stripped of everything. Like, for pastors, I mean, preaching to a camera, I mean, I felt comfortable because as a NFL player, I, that's all I've done. I've worked for ESPN, I've worked for Fox, and so I'm used to it. But preaching to an empty room, also, even when you open back up, you know, 40% of folks come and um, it's been hard. And then, you know, uh, people, I mean, we had a family that left our church after eight years of loving them because we asked them to wear masks. You know, and so there's just so much division, political division. And my white pastor friends, um, if they've said anything about racial justice in the gospel or systemic injustice, they're called woke. And one of my pastor friends lost a million dollars in six months. Mm -hmm. That's how that's how many folks left. And mm -hmm. so a lot of pastors are discouraged. And what I want to say is we have to discover a new way, which is an ancient way to shepherd. We're not business entrepreneurs. Uh, we, we, we are shepherds. And go and read Psalm 23. Like we have a good shepherd who will put us in green pastures and lead us to still waters and who will guide us in righteousness on the path. And though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? Um, he will protect us. He will guide us. He will He's there and even make a table for us in the midst of our enemies and our cups will overflow and goodness and hisset, God's covenant of love will always pursue us. And so we got to make sure in this time that more than ever, we're located in our in Christness because everybody's so angry. Everybody has an opinion about everything. Ed, Daniel, I don't know about you guys, but the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. And therefore, I don't have the expertise to speak on everything. I'm like, how does everybody know so much, man? I mean, good gracious. They're like Kong uh, from um, um, Loki. You know, you know everything. I'm like, you're omniscient. And so I just want to encourage pastors, like, uh, um, be rooted in the vine. 
we have to have a new scorecard. If anything, what 2015 to 2021 has shown us, America can be proliferated with multi-sites, but it's also proliferated with conspiracy theories. It's proliferated with uh, racism, and we've made racism the bar so low now that you can say and be racist without thinking you're racist because, hey, I have an Asian friend. And by the way, not all Asian people are the same. There's That I know of, there's 34 different ethnicities within the term Asian, and they're not all the same. And getting to know people and understand people and love people, like Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors, love yourself. Well, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you a story about a good Samaritan. Say what? Um, man, let the love of God permeate you, transform you, and let's develop a different scorecard. It's not about results. It's about being faithful. That's a good word. Duran, thanks for being on the podcast today. I know our listeners want to thank you for your prophetic voice and your leadership. So thanks again. You've been listening to Derwin Gray, the lead pastor of Transformation Church in the Metro Charlotte area. Be on the lookout for his upcoming book, God, Do You Hear Me? And then we also want to encourage you to learn more about Derwin's ministry by visiting derwinlgray.com. Hey, if you found our conversation with Derwin helpful today, we'd love for you to take a few moments and leave us a review on iTunes. That'll help other ministry leaders benefit from this content. You can find this podcast on Faith Play app, along with other great faith-based podcasts. Also, Look for more interviews as well as other great content from churchleaders.com. And don't forget to check out amplifyoutreach.com. Thanks again for listening to Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. We'll see you on the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.